Welcome today again. My name is Thad and uh, so excited for this series because we're passionate about just being good neighbors and being uh, a place that is welcoming to anybody, any neighbor. And this series should help us really land on uh, the art of neighboring, being a great person to our neighbors. Today's title is Why You Love Your Neighbor. You'll figure out why it's that title. Let's jump right in. First John 4.19 expresses something very simple for us to catch. We love each other because he loved us first. Loved people love people, right? And what a better environment to do that than neighboring. Let me play a little catch up here. If you haven't been with us since January 1, we opened our year with a series on neighboring, talking about a story from the Bible where there was a good Samaritan that helped out a man that was beaten and left on the side of the road. And he was, uh, he was just giving this illustration of, like, who's a neighbor to this guy who's been beaten down? And, and this ruler that was trying to trap Jesus in this test of phrase said, uh, well, you know, isn't it the guy who helped him and gave him shelter and cared for his needs? And he's like, yeah, go and do likewise. This is your neighbor. And this, so this guy... Uh, found out that like Jesus has a passion for loving your neighbor. And so we focused on that a little bit at the beginning of the year, but we're going to get even more practical during this series. This series really helps us figure out like, okay, so then how do we do this? Uh, A little more detailed. Maybe it would help if you finish the sentence, I love my neighbor because. Now you could get some real interesting answers to that. You're probably thinking of some neighbors. Immediately your brain works the opposite, right? You're probably thinking of some neighbors you don't love. I mean, maybe you're out there in the backyard and you're just enjoying yourself and you're saying, man, I'm, you know, the church answer would be, I love my neighbor because I'm obeying Jesus, right? But really the real answer is, I love my neighbor because they moved out. I don't have to watch them doing belly flops anymore in the pool in the backyard, right? It's like, I don't know what they do back there. I don't know what they're doing in their garage at night. You hear them grinding. Maybe they're waxing their snowboard. I have no idea, but they're back there making it happen. You're just like, what happens in there? Where's all the power bill going? Why, why is there these green plants in their garage? No, never mind. Maybe it's not that. Uh, you know, you just kind of look. You go, hey, what is it about your neighbor that... You're, you're just, they, they drive you nuts, right? You're thinking of that neighbor, and you're going, how could I sit here during a series on loving your neighbor? No! But yes, right? Loving your neighbor makes for better, safer neighborhoods. It creates, really, a sense of community that maybe doesn't exist. Um, you have neighbors in your mind that you have a good relationship with, and those that are tough, honestly. And uh, you have some that, Man, you just wish they could come to the faith because you know the hope and the peace and the love that's there if they just met Jesus. But you just don't know how to start that conversation. Uh, You go, man, how you answer this question really does matter. And so we want to give you an opportunity to dwell on this. And the big idea will help. The big idea today, we love our neighbor because God's love matters most. God's love matters most. And maybe this is way more simple than you anticipated. Uh, It's true. God's love is what matters most. 
It's not your favor with your neighbor that matters. It's not your popularity in the hood that matters. It's not whether you got a vote to be the next HOA board member that matters. So you're like, I don't want that vote, right? Um, basically, that means you're the person who tells people to mow their lawn or what. I don't know. In our neighborhood, it's like, um, yeah, can you put your fence up? That'd be awesome. Uh, maybe it's, uh, I don't know what it is for you. But you could list a bunch of things about being a good neighbor. What's the value? Well, here's the reality is it's not about you. Being a good neighbor in God's sight is all about his love being made known through you. That's what his passion is for. That's why Jesus came, right? It's not about you. It's about God. It's about his best for your community. It's about his blessing coming to fruition through your hands. It's God's desire for you to hone your neighboring skills, if you would, and uh, reach beyond your physical comfort, introvert or extrovert. Find a way to make a positive impact in those around you. You are his hospitality in community, wherever you go, truly. I mean, you can think beyond your own neighborhood, the eight homes around you or however your neighborhood's configured, Think beyond that. Think, man, how are you neighboring the next desk? How are you neighboring the next office? Students, how are you neighboring those sitting next to you or the next classroom? How are you neighboring your fellow commuters? Come on, you're on the same train every day. You're in the same, you know, man, I... If you're on 167, you probably know people by name. You're parked there long enough, right? How are you neighboring your fellow workout people at the gym? I know, I relate. Okay, never mind. I don't relate to that. Uh, So, who's pretending? Most importantly, what about this one? How are you neighboring those sitting to your left and right? I love it. We were 101, 201 last week having a great conversation with each other saying, man, I, I want a neighbor. I want a neighbor in my neighborhood. But boy, I, I would love to know the people right here in church. Like, how can we neighbor better inside church? I mean, we're trying to be on mission together. How can we get to know one another? Maybe we could hang around a little slower on the exit and say hi. I just want to give everyone here permission. When we're done today, you can talk to someone. There you go. You all have permission. It's, it's, it's okay. It's not weird or creepy, depending on how, how you do it, right? And then so just be cool. Play it off. Play it off cool. Um, you know, what would it be like if it was hard for somebody not to feel welcome in any environment you're in? You're God's hospitality. So what is God's, or, or I mean, why does God's love matter most? And, and we have some thoughts for that. We're going to unpack today, and hopefully you'll get some how in the middle of it too. So thought one, love is the most excellent way. And I, like, why does God's ma- love matter? Because it's the most excellent way. He teaches this in Scripture. There's no greater way to treat someone than with love. Martin Luther King Jr. phrases it incredibly. He said, love is the one force capable of transforming any enemy into a friend. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Love is an action word, but it's also a culture word. 
It's sensed, it's felt, it's experienced, it's a posture, if you will. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 says it this way, really the love chapter in the Bible. says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and angels, but did not love others. So if I did not love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Energizer bunny, right? If I can be honest... I've met a lot of Christians, and I've met a lot of people who had experiences with Christians, those professing to follow Jesus, that specifically uh, are in a growing portion that they just got turned off by the faith because of a noisy gong or clanging cymbal around them. Uh, Why is this? Because... The Christians they knew did not operate or fulfill the picture of love to them. The picture they were getting or the posture they were getting from them was entitlement. Or maybe judgment. Or they would experience an attitude of self-righteousness. They'd feel looked down upon. And they don't feel like a loved neighbor. They feel conscious of being judged. Or maybe they feel like they're just a potential sale or a convert, a project. Man, that's not the goal. But sometimes you do nothing to make that happen. It's from their past experiences. So it might not be your fault, but they've had experience with somebody prior to you that made them feel like a project instead of a human. And our goal would be to just be good humans to one another, good people to one another. I mean, how many Christians do you know that could fit the noisy gong and clanging symbol in that passage? And I, I just look at that and go, I mean, like, it could just be because they know you're a Christian. I remember our neighbors right next to us first thought, we heard this, they told us this, that they couldn't smoke in their backyard. I, I kid you not. And we found out, like, well, why, why do you feel you can't smoke in your backyard? Because our neighbor is a pastor. I was like, what? What does that even have to do with anything, right? It was just kind of funny. And they're like, yeah, so we, we kind of don't want to smoke in the backyard. It's like, okay. You know, it was just really, it was just, you know, what is, that's not, I never said, but uh, yeah, over the fence, you know. Uh, hey, neighbor, what's up? Uh, notice you've been smoking. I'm a pastor. Just want to let you know. Um, yeah, can you hold that down? That'd be awesome. It smells different. What is? What are you smoking, man? No, I'm just kidding. I didn't have a. This was before it was legal. Uh, so you know, just the reality of of what kind of neighbor are we? And uh, we don't want to be the ones that are entitled, self righteous. A community doesn't need another march or another protest. Another statement of position that drops the mic on some buddy in the community. Post on social media that Christians are going to boycott the next organization. They certainly don't want to be our next project or uh, church convert or whatever the must do to get into heaven list would be that some of us make up in our minds. Our neighbors need us 
to outlove the noise. That's what they need. To serve them well. To just invest ourselves into people with no agenda. Because love is the most excellent way. And love has no agenda. In fact, thought too. Love is the proof of Christ in us. It's the proof. John 13, 34 through 35 says, Now, this is Jesus speaking, recorded, says this, Now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Okay, got that? Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Well, that's a high standard, right? It says in verse 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So like the measurement for our love, if we're truly going to love our neighbor well, and we're going to be the proof of Jesus to the world is we have to love like Jesus did. I go back to a quote we actually started Open Life with. Seven years ago, saying often, as we would say, man, we need to live in such a way as to be a gospel demonstration that demands an explanation. Like, why are you doing this? I don't know. Why are you doing this? You know, and, and, and we would be serving the community and people in, in some way or another would just say, well, what's your, like, why are you guys out here? Well, we just love to love. We just love to serve the community. We want to be a benefit to the community. Period. No strings attached. Your love should be so pure that people long to know why. They long to know it. Love was not intended to be a tactic. It was never intended to be a tactic to share Jesus with others. It's not like a tool. We can't decide to love for a day to fulfill our evangelism requirement. Right? Haven't you been... In environments where you kind of feel like that's just the deal. I'm going to put the shirt on today. I'm going to serve. I've loved this month. Check. That's not the goal at all. Love is a lived out culture. We can't put on, uh, you know, this, this day of or love as a project or a once a month outreach or a whatever. No, it's who we are wherever we are. We should live love always. That's our goal. We need to be the someone who loves. Love is intended to be proof. So loving as Jesus loved is what we need to figure out, right? Well, how did he do it? You could read. You can open a Bible. You could get a Bible. You could download version, And you could begin to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. These are the books recorded. The life of Jesus, his disciples, those that were closest to him, wrote these books so that we could see how Jesus loved. It's a great start if you have never read the Bible. Grab the book of John. Start to read it and you'll hear how much God loves people. Just as I have loved you is how we're commanded to love. So this is me. Jesus loved everyone you'll find without prejudice or favoritism. He loved without condition. It wasn't a, okay, well, I'll heal your son if you agree to serve twice a month uh, in childcare. Okay, let's do that. Okay, let's raise him from the dead. You know, it's like, it's, oh, that wasn't, there was no condition. Uh, he loved when it was inconvenient for himself and convenient for the others. In other words, 
He would like leave what he was doing, go to other towns and villages that someone requested his presence at, heal people there, and veer from his journey because the interruptions were his journey. Part of the reason we call our, our, our church open life. Just we've got an open life. Our first URL on the web was, and we still own it, living life open. We just live life open enough to be interrupted. We've got to have margin if we want to be used by God. Jesus loved as a lifestyle, not just when it was in style. It's challenging to us. I hope the proof to the world around us that Jesus is real is evident through your love. I just hope so. And maybe a daily prayer for you would be Jesus increase our ability, desire, and passion to love others. You can ask my kids when I'm driving them to school and I pray for them right before we get there. I'll always pray, God help, help them love like Jesus would love others. May they be a vessel for your love to flow through. Something like that, I will pray. Because they're going to make a difference. It just takes us being a vessel for God to flow through. And let prayer, just let that prayer be a constant in your day. And God will show you opportunities to love. You'll be the proof. Thought three, love is the greatest gift. It's a gift. Still in 1 Corinthians 13, it says this in verse 13. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Love is the greatest thing we could inhabit in our life. Not as a work to earn God's favor, but as a culture that overflows out of us because we're so loved by God. That's the goal. Isn't it funny how we don't remember the actual gifts we get for holidays or birthdays or anniversaries. Maybe you do. Um, maybe you remember the bad ones. I got a vacuum for the anniversary. It stunk, man. I saw some people look at each other. Sorry about that. Brought that up. Whew. That was painful. Blender. Uh, I watched Father of the Bride. That didn't work out well. Never going to do a blender for a holiday. Anyway, so, you know, it's just like you realize... That you can remember some of the gifts, but they're vague. What you remember is the person who gave them to you. You remember people who invest into you, right? Jesus said, follow me because we follow people. We're impacted by people more than we're impacted by like a principle or a teaching. He reproduced himself and his disciples so that they could then be the church when he was crucified on a cross and he resurrected from the dead. There was an example that could be lived out that people could follow. They were the ones love went through. The gift of love was flowing through them. People need examples. Having a love for people is the greatest gift we can have because we then become the gift, right? Because we embody the love of Jesus in us. Our actions reflect Jesus. Maybe you've heard the quote say, money can't buy me love, right? Well, why is that? Because it's not about what you can buy. It's about the motive and the heart behind it. 
items will not express love to others. Unless, of course, your love language is giving or receiving gifts. You could tell mine isn't by me putting that in the text today. So it's like, you know, the reality is, to many people, it's the person giving whatever they're giving that makes the largest impact. It's the individual. So we need to be people that carry this greatest gift to the world. It's not the school supplies we purchase in the the late spring and early summer and then donate to Liberty Ridge Elementary School that are going to be the expression of love. You know what impacts them? It's those who show up with those school gifts and deliver them to the classrooms and the teachers and say, we believe in you. You're going to make an impact in these students' lives this year. We're praying for this school. You know, we... We, we want to encourage you. It's, that's where the impact comes. Isn't that interesting? It's, it's when we go out there and we, we feed families at Thanksgiving through the community Big Give. That makes, they're very grateful for that food. Don't get me wrong. They're very thankful. But you know what makes the biggest impact? Hundreds of people in white shirts and people holding signs that say, you are amazing, we love you, and they're ready, they're there, they're eager to serve them and bless them and give of their lives to them to encourage them and say, have a great Thanksgiving, we believe in you. That's what makes a difference because love flows through us. It's not in the things that we try to scatter out there in love. So it makes us think, right? The difference maker is love. It's the greatest gift, not necessarily what we're giving that matters. Thought four. Love was and is God's motive. Just love. Like that's the end game. The end game's love. John 3, 16 and 17 said, for this is how God loved the world. So here's the description of how he did it. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. See, we're not supposed to be the ones judging or, or, or condemning. or That's not the Christian's task. It was never the Christian's task. The task was to love the world. Some translations even say, maybe your Bible that you're reading right now, I read that from the New Living Translation. Maybe if you've got a New International Version or an English Standard Version or something, it'll say, God so loved the world. Like, God so loved the world. He sent his son for us. God didn't send Jesus to protest this generation's sin issues. God didn't send Jesus so that we could taste freedom from sin and and death only, like he wanted to love us first and demonstrate his love by sending Jesus to give his life for our sin, to like wipe it out. He literally loved us to death. That's amazing. And the goal of loving your neighbor is to be the best at what Jesus says matters most. We love because we're Christians not because we're trying to make Christians. Don't hijack the end game. God's motive was love. And the test of our love is not the size of our church. It's the size of our heart. Because we're just loving. Just loving. 
One of the things I've discovered that increases my love for my neighbors is, uh, and the community, is just being present and aware and maybe hearing stories. Like I loved it. Walking in the door this morning, somebody brought this in to me. Not to call any names, Melinda. But uh, the, uh, it's a measuring cup. No trick about the like, quantity of measurement or the style or whether it's glass or crystal. Cubic zirconian or whatever. I have no idea. Uh, but inside measure, said measuring cup, a note that said, Hello, we're your neighbors. And it goes on just to say, Hey, just wanted to let you know our... Our number and email, if you ever need a cup of flour, a cup of sugar, or want to make uh, a, a new friend, feel free to give us a call. How easy is that, right? Creative idea inspired by God. I love it. It's this simple. Somebody took this neighboring and said, I'm going to meet my neighbors, and here's a tool. How, how easy is that? Or baking some cookies or moving up somebody's garbage can. Isn't that simple? I love stories like that. In fact, when I was first sitting down, so seven years ago, we started Open Life, and we were meeting at the Regal Theater, and I had a, a, a coach like that helped us like make decisions and start Open Life. His name was Trinity Jordan, funny guy, and uh, he comes to town, and he's catching the story of Open Life opening in the theater on camera to send to the Church Multiplication Network people, and, and we go to lunch afterwards, and he asked me a question that just rocked me. And his question was, like, what is the thing that has surprised you the most about starting a church here in Bonnie Lake? And I was like, you know, honestly, the only thing I could put to words was this. How much I'm falling in love with the people in the community. Well, how did that happen? We literally just... We're sitting in places with open ears and open eyes and an open heart. Maybe like one of the things that we would do is, uh, is I started walking around town. Like walking around our neighborhood and just praying that God would reveal what we should invest our lives in or not invest our lives in, Right? Like, you can get distracted by many things, but not just our town. We, like, read this book that came out called The Circle Maker, and so I was, like, all about, like, praying around things. So we uh, decided I, I would go out with Preston at the time, was on this little tiny, like, scooter bike, and uh, we would go around the different towns, and he would be on his little bike, and, and I'd just walk and pray for those cities, and get a burden for all of them, whether it was South Prairie or Wilkeson or Buckley or Enumclaw or Sumner or Bonnie Lake. You just all of a sudden your heart grows by what you let in your eyes and ears. You can't help but start to care for people. And you meet people. And you start, and then all of a sudden, Tahale comes in, and we would walk around up there and pray for the sidewalks because there was no houses. It was awesome. Seven years ago, it was like, oh, look, an elementary school. Creepy. There's nothing here, you know? And now there's like, you were prayed over so long before you moved in there if you live in Tahale, just so you know. We would walk around and just pray for the future people of that community. I mean, that's how your heart is moved towards people. 
And so with that in mind and that practice kind of led to our action point today for you. We wanted you to take a walk. It sounds funny as an action point to maybe a, a sermon or something or talk as we call it. But the reality is something beautiful may be able to happen if you just go outside and walk around your neighborhood. Think about what could be seen or heard or your mind, your heart begin to grow for those that live right next to you. Even if you live on acreage, find ways to love your neighbor practically by what you observe. And it might be as simple as placing a a measuring cup on your neighbor's porch and Ding-dong ditching them at midnight. I don't know. Did, did you do it at midnight? That would have been awesome. Ding-dong. Woo-hoo. You know. Uh, if you're more introverted, that may be how it works out. That's okay. Um, but, you know, maybe it's seeing that their paper's out on the sidewalk, and so you pick it up and you put it on their porch so it doesn't look like they're out of town. Maybe it's unclogging a drain because you know it might flood somebody's garage down the street if it doesn't go down that drain. Now, you know what's interesting about that? Nobody will ever see it. The story might never be told. But remember, it's not about us. It's about God increasing the size of our heart by us just loving our neighborhood, our neighbors. What could happen through that? It's unflattering. It's not necessarily the most beautiful thing in the world. I have to be honest. I went into ministry 20 years ago. And I got my first hospital visit, little card thing from my pastor. This is your job this week, your hospital visitation man, pastor guy. So I'd read the books on what to do when you go to the hospital. There's this little black book I took with me in case I needed to say the right prayers in the hospital. It was really, really ungenuine and funny and so I uh, I just you know I make my way to the hospital and I'm like I'm gonna be the pastor guy I feel all you know getting like yes I don't know what I anticipated was gonna happen I walk into the room uh, or the you know it was the ICU and uh, they say okay awesome well uh, the per- I ask for the person and I'm expecting the family and you know I was kind of I had this false sense of pride I was gonna walk in there I'm gonna be like a hero to the family because I'm there to pray in representation of the church, hallelujah, right? And so I walk in there, and, and they go, here she is, you know, and they open the curtain, and here is no family in the room, uh, a gal laying not properly clothed on a table, and it was my opportunity to pray. The family's not here, but feel free, Shh, curtain closed behind me, I'm just like, The gal was special needs, had no idea I was present. It was me and this person. And I felt a conviction reach so deep inside of me. And I just felt like God just saying to me, Thad, it's never going to be about you. It wasn't about me getting recognition to pray for someone in a hospital. It was about me being obedient and loving someone that was in the hospital. I felt like the biggest sinner in the world that day. Prayed for that gal. Nobody ever knew I was there or ever heard the prayer. But my heart grew that day. And it might be the same if you just unclog a drain or roll someone's garbage can up from the street to their garage. 
That might be your moment where it's just like, this will never be seen, but it matters. And then share ways you've loved your neighbor. I love this story today about the measuring cup, but like share your story on, on social media if it's appropriate. You don't want to use your neighbors and then share their story, and then they're like, well, that's weird that they tweeted about me. You know, met a sinner in my, in my yard today and uh, found out it was the guy who lets his dog poop every weekend, but I caught him. Then I invited him to church. Loved him for Jesus. Hashtag neighboring eight. Right? That'd be bad. Just obeying our pastor's instructions at open life. I tossed my neighbor's dog out of my yard. No, don't do it. No, no. Don't tag open life in that. Uh, uh, you know, so it's just that reality. But sh- we do want to hear the stories of like, what went good? What went awkward? Really awkward. It's going to happen, right? There's going to be weird stories. And then, you know, we did it at the end of our series in January, but we said, hey, on the back of your Connect card, take a moment and jot, like, how many of my neighbors do I know, right? Like, you know them by name and need. Maybe you could pray for something going on in their life. And maybe even today, if you want to take your connection card and and you fill it out, you, you flip it over in that little prayer comment section, write one of seven or four of eight, or whatever, because we want to help celebrate with you when that number goes from four to five. They met a neighbor. Tell us the story. It's just kind of one of our passions this year is neighboring. And uh, just love to hear your stories because it just makes our heart grow. So our challenge is to love our neighbor, right? And we're supposed to love as God loved us, so today we couldn't think of a better way to reflect on this love than to celebrate through communion. So what's communion? For those of you who may not know, Jesus, when he, right before he was crucified on a cross for us, which we're going to celebrate Easter, Good Friday service, Easter service coming up in six weeks, as Jaden said on the video. Um, He took bread and a cup, and he took the bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body that is broken for you. And he said... Every time you take this bread, remember my body. You know, do this in remembrance of me. And the disciples had to have been going, what is he talking about, right? Then he took a cup and he said, drink this. This is my blood, which is shed for you. And they're going, they had to have just been scratching their heads, right? He said, do this in remembrance of me. So then the disciples reflect on this after he's been crucified. He raises from the dead. They gather and they celebrate what's known as communion. They took bread, they broke it, and they said, this is, we do this in remembrance of, of Jesus' body that was broken for, for us. And then they take a cup, and what we do is we take the bread and dip it in the cup. We don't take the cup and, next, right? Uh, we dip it in the cup, and the cup is a, a, in remembrance of his blood. It's just grape juice, don't freak out. And, uh, and we, we dip it in there, and then we just eat it on our way back to our seat. And we do that in celebration of what Jesus did for us. He broke his body. His body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us. It says, so that we can be free from our sin. So we could be forgiven and have eternal life. So one thing the disciples made clear about this celebration of communion, this response to his love, is that we should only take of it if we're in right relationship with God so that we're not like 
being fake with our faith or and drinking or eating judgment on our own selves. So I want to give you an opportunity. Maybe you've never confessed Jesus as Lord and never made a decision to follow him. I want to give you that opportunity. And then if you feel comfortable, we're all going to stand in a second. I'll tell you when and, and we can make our way to the communion elements and then come back to your seat and we'll close you out in a few moments. But I want us to reflect for a second and give people an opportunity to respond to today's talk. Maybe it's through communion or prayer or whatever's comfortable for you. So God, I thank you for your heart for us. And what a challenge, what a standard to try to attain to, to, to say, I want to love like Jesus loved. That we would love because you first loved us. Wow. It seems impossible to love people that much, but yet you challenged us to. So God, I pray that as we grapple with that this week, as we try to be a loving neighbor, whatever that means for us, our next step, would you reveal it to us? Even now, challenge us in our spirit. Maybe there's a neighbor we don't like and we need to just start praying about that. And God, maybe there's others here that are just going, man, I just didn't realize how much I was loved by God. Maybe there's someone here that's yet to make that decision to follow Jesus and we want to give them that opportunity. Maybe this will be their first moment of celebrating communion. God, we thank you for taking our sins upon you, upon your son, Jesus, on the cross forgiving us of our sins. And, and I just want to, if anybody's yet to confess Jesus as Lord, I just want to pray this prayer with them. Jesus, come into my life. I want to follow you. I want to grow in relationship with you. Cleanse me of my sins. I want to celebrate what you've done for me. The ultimate act of love. You, you died on a cross for me. And I want to know what that means for my life. Help me grow in relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.